0: is about a Hebrew family of four from Bethlehem who had migrated to Moab during a famine. When we read scripture we listen for certain terms and certain words and those of us who are familiar with the Judeo-Christian tradition undoubtedly catch the reference to Bethlehem in um, this story. The parents were Elimelech and Naomi, their sons were Malan and Chilion. Elimelech died, leaving Naomi to raise the two boys on her own in a strange land. When the boys grew into adulthood, they married Moabite women. Orpah and Ruth. The family sojourned in Moab for about 10 years, during which time Malan and Chilion died, leaving behind their mother and their two wives. Naomi decided to return to Bethlehem, for she had heard rumors that the famine had subsided and living conditions were better there. Initially both women volunteered to accompany her back to Bethlehem, which of course would have made both of the daughters-in-laws aliens when they got there. Nonetheless, both were willing to go. But with some persuading, Naomi was successful at convincing Orpah to stay in Moab. But no matter what Naomi said to Ruth, Ruth was not to be dissuaded. Scripture tells us that Ruth clung to Naomi and spoke these words. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. These words are uttered in the form of a covenant and have often been used at weddings as declarations of a wife's commitment to her husband, marking her promise to follow him wherever life's pilgrimage may take him. In cutting a covenant, there is always a penalty exacted for one's failure to abide by the conditions set forth in the covenant. This is a story about a young woman whose name is Ruth. And the name, like Hebrew names generally, has a significance. Even today, we talk about people having Ruth. Ruth has to do with pity, with sympathy, with compassion. You don't hear the term Ruth applied often in that context. More frequently we hear the word ruthless, which is the absence of Ruth. The absence of compassion, the absence of sympathy, and the absence of pity. But at a time when love was at the center of our moral compass, and represented that direction that was true north, Ruth was an important aspect of those characteristics. Now, in our time, it has been replaced with Ruthless, with an emphasis on power rather than an emphasis on love and compassion. Unfortunately, covenant in our time has come to mean precious little. Now the time frame of such promises is, quote, until further notice, end quote, at which time I can just walk away. This cavalier attitude about covenant has permeated our culture, which is based on individual contentment, satisfaction, and happiness. If I'm not happy with you, it's acceptable in the eyes of many for me just to walk away. That happens in marriages on a regular basis and it happens in churches all too frequently. If I anticipate that I can get my needs met better someplace else, I'm under no obligation to stay and work things out with you. I just announced that I'm leaving, and I'm gone. The relationship is severed, and it matters not what commitments I made to you that I'm now walking away from. Look around. There are people who were worshipping with us in this place, who participated in committing us to a three-year lease on this facility. Where are they now? Although the three years haven't expired, they're gone. Unable to even commit themselves to a definite period of time. I mean, forget the kind of commitment that is part of the marriage covenant, that is, till death do us part, even for a prescribed period of time, they were unable to stay with us. When I was a teenager, I participated in a youth group at our church. It was a very active youth group. Most months we sponsored multiple social events. The youth group was my community of peers, much more so than school. There would be times when the date for a particular activity would roll around and I really didn't feel much like doing it, whatever the it may have been. My parents would always ask the same questions. Isn't there a youth group activity tonight? I would say, yeah but I don't feel much like going. My father's response was as consistent as the question. <laughs> when the activity was discussed, did you vote to have it? And if the answer to that was yes, guess who went to the activity? Usually. The answer was, well, yes, because at the time we were discussing it, I felt like doing it. Now the day is here, I don't feel like doing it anymore. My father's directive was always the same. If you voted to have it, you're going. Go get ready. My father was a stickler on living up to commitments one made. Unfortunately, there are far too few fathers who are of that ilk today. Prior to the time of the Reformation, that huge fiasco in the 16th century that Alistair McGrath has subsequently dubbed Christianity's dangerous idea, Sundays were considered a day of obligation for all Christians. If one was able, one was expected to be at Mass. Two weeks ago, I received a letter from a couple who formerly sojourned with us for a season who advised me that they do not attend church out of any sense of obligation, which means they learned nothing from me while the time that they were sojourning with us. My reaction to that is this. How sad. The tone of their letter suggested to me that there is precious little in life that they do out of a sense of obligation. Because if you don't do this out of a sense of obligation, what happens in your life that's any more important than this? Many people are all about the immediate experience and they're perpetually in search of the next spiritual high that they can tap into wherever that may be and whatever church may be offering it. If there are conflicts or difficulties that arise in the relationships, they are out the door. How could one possibly feel secure being married to someone like that? If I were their partner, I would be worried about that. In our story, Ruth had married into this family and she had no intention of abandoning her aging mother-in-law even after Naomi had released her from any familial obligation. It's no wonder that later a man whose name was Boaz would find this woman to be an attractive life companion. Such commitment doesn't come along every day in this culture. In our cavalier attitude toward commitments in our time, it's just until further notice. In our lesson from Second Timothy, St. Paul is warning the young man Timothy about false teachers. He's asking Timothy to remain at Ephesus and to put a stop to the teaching of heresies. St. Paul tells Timothy that the aim of the charge that has been entrusted to them is, quote, love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, end quote. Unfortunately, there were some in Ephesus, even as there are some in Lynchburg, who are setting themselves up with a level of expertise that they really do not possess desiring to be teachers of the law without adequate understanding of what they are talking about. They don't know as much as they think they know. The Protestant Reformation contributed to that problem too. Martin Luther was determined to publish Holy Scripture in the vernacular so that each Christian could read it for themselves, which in principle doesn't sound like such a horrible idea except that the consequence is that each reader can set himself up as an authority, claiming a level of expertise that they simply do not possess. But holding on to their interpretation like a bulldog on a meat truck, when in actuality they have no idea what they're talking about, just like the heretics in Ephesus that Timothy was supposed to let the air out of. I find it interesting that during the first 1,500 years, the church split one time in 1054. Since the 16th century, you can't begin to count the number of splits that have occurred in Protestant churches. Many denominations split as often as I change shirts. If everyone's an authority in their own right, then when whenever people disagree that, quote, righteous group, end quote, which by definition is the one that I'm a part of, is either going to take my toys someplace else to play, or or I'm going to give the, the the other side the left foot of fellowship and boot them out the door so that they can go and do their thing someplace else. How sad is that? If one reads Jesus' priestly prayer in John's Gospel, one quickly sees that this probably isn't the vision of church that Jesus had in mind. In the third lesson, Jesus heals ten men of, of leprosy, a hideous disease which necessitated a sufferer to be ostracized from his or her community. One could not be restored into fellowship, until such time that one was without symptoms. When I was a boy I'm living with my parents, we attended Sunday school and church every Sunday. We weren't Catholic, but I sure did come to an understanding of Sunday being a day of holy obligation. One year in Sunday school, each lesson came with a beautiful picture depicting some aspect of the lesson. The picture that was given to me at the close of the lesson was a picture depicting this story from Luke's Gospel. And in the picture, Jesus is standing there and this man is knelt prostrate before him. My parents framed that picture for me and they um, hung that on my bedroom wall and that hung there until I was an adult and gone. This summer I I was up um, visiting my mother. You You know that we have had to move her into a nursing facility And there is a um, flower shop actually near the um, facility where my mother um, has moved. And they sell um, Eastern Orthodox icons. I am an icon collector. You can look around and see some of them here. One of my favorites is this one. It is the one where this woman who was caught in the act of adultery is before Jesus and Jesus is expressing Ruth to her. You can pass it around and look at it. It's a marvelous, it's a marvelous depiction of what it is that our lessons are talking to us today about compassion toward one another, about having commitment toward one another, and and about who we are, and about whose we are, and about what the expectation is of us to be a part of Christ's church. Like the woman, our Samaritan friend was extremely grateful that Jesus had healed him of this dreaded disease. But in his enthusiasm to be symptom free he rushed off to show himself to the priest which is what was required for him to be reunited with his family and friends. When he realized that his manners had lapsed he turned himself around and returned to Jesus, and thanked Him for His mercy and grace. Each day we pray the daily office. There is a prayer of thanksgiving that can be a part of the office. When I lead the daily offices, that prayer is always a part of the office. God has done great things for us, and glory is due His name. I believe it is important for us to express our gratitude at each of the daily offices. The take-home messages from these lessons are these first we need to rethink our attitudes about obligation and personal responsibility and what it means to be faithful to our commitments to one another and to Christ Jesus scripture teaches that people are faith that people who are faithful in little things will also be faithful in greater things Second, we need to be aware of heretics that are masquerading as spiritual authorities and they don't know as much as they think they know. And we need to identify them and we need to not be influenced by them. And many of these in our times are people that are trying to marry the Christian faith with the culture. There was a period of time in this country where christianity was too closely identified with the culture now there's been a deep chasm between the dominant culture and the history of our faith we it will be incumbent upon us to make a decision about where we stand thirdly we should remember to be thankful for the blessings that we receive at the hands of our Heavenly Father every day. This is a day for serious soul-searching. How are we measuring up in our commitments, in our compassion, in our challenging falsehoods, and in our thanksgiving?